Welcome to our podcast. This is David Kramer coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. And we finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world, or at least our opinions. Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, and over 60 years of work experience. And we're making this podcast together to try to help each other, and hopefully you, the listener, save money. But wait a second, Mr. Kramer, what are we talking about today? I don't think it's money. It's not exactly money, but we are going to talk once again about influence. And uh, as a case study, we are going to talk about uh, people wearing masks in public. We're coming to you, for those of us, uh, you archivists who are in the distant future trying to learn about what uh, Dave and Dave were like before they became famous. Um, this is May 30th, 2020, and uh, there's a controversy about whether people should wear masks in public in order to slow down the uh, spread of the coronavirus. So the idea is, assuming that we both agree that that's a good idea, how would we influence other people to not cause disease spread? So we have a couple of very special guests today because you and I don't really know anything about influence. So we brought uh, in experts who know what they're talking about. Exactly. Uh, joining us for the second time is Mr. Steve Royster, uh, old college friend of ours, who is now an employee of the State Department. Uh, he's also an attorney. Uh, so Steve, for a living, has to change nation states' action. So he's an expert on influence. Welcome, Mr. Royster. Well, thank you, Mr. Kramer, Mr. Blasco. Good to be back. Welcome back. Thanks. Also joining us is uh, a good friend of mine, Larry Taman. Now, Larry is a marketing professional. In fact, he is a trainer of marketing professionals. He is a second derivative of, of a marketing expert. So he is trying to influence people on a large scale. Um, we, uh, we work together trying to influence the youth of America as basketball coaches, uh, <laughs> me following and him leading. Uh, and uh, he actively now is a consultant, but he learned his chops at some little mom and pop company in Georgia called the Coca-Cola Company. So um, <laughs> welcome, Larry. Thank you, gentlemen. Really happy to be here, even though I'm a Tar Heel outnumbered three to one. But we'll, uh, we'll hold up our side of the, the equation there. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank welcome. you. Thank you, Jim. We'll just talk real slow and you can keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Touche. I like it, Steve. Okay, we're starting off early. Yeah. So let's start with Steve Royster. Steve, you are coming to us from Northern Virginia, DC suburbs. Um, how, how are things going there? Well, as we're here in May 2020, Washington, D.C. is one of the lingering hotspots in the country for you, future Dave and future Dave and future Larry, when you look back at this, New York City by this time will have flared up and have been the disaster that was predicted and that we all watched before our eyes. And now the COVID situation is waning, except that Washington, and as I understand, Chicago and one other city, maybe L.A., are now experiencing uh, still prevalent coronavirus conditions. As a result, we are walking around day-to-day -day outdoors, indoors, in masks. I have not been to my office in the State Department for three, two and a half, three months now, and everyone is still pretty much sheltering in place. There has been an uptick. The jurisdictions around the Washington, D.C. area in Maryland and Virginia, as well as Washington itself, just this weekend are opening up to allow for the first time in months, dining and restaurants and limited activities such as haircuts and tattoos. So, I mean, why is it so important for the American people to have tattoos? I don't understand that, but I digress. You have your tats. <laughs> but I digress. Um, the point is that we in Washington are taking this fairly seriously here. I went out for a walk this morning with my wife and because it was 6.30 in the morning, we did not have masks. But even at that hour, we passed several joggers and walkers who did have masks on, and we kept our distance from people. This is still the heart of things, and even as we're trying to open up, there's a strong feeling in the background that this could come back and bite us if the disease blossoms again, and masks, as we all have agreed to agree, can be one of the ways to stem that growth. 
So when you go to the grocery store, uh, Steve, are you seeing um, here they will try, they'll not let you in if you're not wearing a mask. But do you, right. Are you seeing any troubles with compliance in where you are in Virginia? They ask us to wear a mask. I have worn a mask every time I've been out in a public place since the middle of March. The last time I went to the grocery store last weekend, I, there was one person who did not have a mask and every single other person did have a mask. There is a person outside who is both asking you kindly to wear a mask and counting to ensure that the occupancy inside the grocery store doesn't exceed the fraction that's allowed for any structure. I think I asked one day and there were 120 people in the supermarket where the capacity is normally 700 or so. So they are monitoring both the number of people who are moving in there, there are arrows, directing people and they do ask um, people to wear masks, although they will not bar you from entering if you don't have one. There's voluntary compliance. People take this seriously. So this is my concern is that when you see somebody who's not wearing a mask, it's possible they have a, a condition that prevents it. But it's also in this day and age, it's possible that it's a political statement. And that person I would like to influence to wear a mask without getting into a fist fight, which would be the really downside of this. So Larry, you convince people to do things for a living. Do you see any way to do this in the, uh, the, the current polarized status of this country? Well, that's a great question, uh, David. And, and you know, I, I think to your point, it's, you have to take the politics out of it. I was really struck in a good way where the governor, I believe, of North Dakota, right, a few days ago, again, as you, you all stated what the date is, sometime middle of the week, where he actually got emotional, and he's a Republican governor, and talked about how, you know, the wearing a mask should not be political, political politicalized, what's the right word, right? For in, in, in any form or fashion. And so, you know, that's something that is out there, but has, because of the, the president, I think not wearing a mask has, is, has polarized it some. So to answer your question, I think we have to appeal to people's best sides and, one of the things that we do with our practice of brand positioning doctors, the consultancy I work for is we're all about helping brands emotionally connect to their target audience. So in this situation, it's a category wearing masks. So, so I'm still looking at it from that perspective. And the emotional appeal, I think really goes to, you know, when we wear a mask, it's not about us. We're wearing a mask to protect others. And I think the biggest message that we can talk about is helping protect those who are close to you who are vulnerable, whether you have an older parent, older uh, grandparent, uh, aunt, uncle, etc., or you have another relative or friend that's compromised in any way, it, the appeal has to go to helping protect those who are vulnerable. And I would imagine 99.99% .99 of people out there do have somebody in their life that fits that persona. So that to me is the ultimate appeal. It's not about you. It's, a, it's really helping protect those who are close to you who are most vulnerable to, to bring it, to make it personal to people. And if we we're able to do that, I think that would go a long way. So Kramer, it's interesting because i I've probably only left my house like four times since mid-March. Um, we're like having our groceries like pick up where you can order them and just go drive your car and put them in your car. So I've literally, um, while I go for a walk every day, I've been in outside of my house into another building maybe four times. Have you sought to influence people while you're like at the store? I have not tried to influence anyone. I've thought about it though, and I... <laughs> have you encountered, but to your point, like here, in Cal I'm in Northern California as well, and I haven't seen anyone inside without a mask, uh, you know, and, and I, truth be told, I walk, we have two dogs, and I walk my dogs 
at least once a day. And so I don't wear a mask when I'm walking the dogs, but uh, to Steve's point, I stay really social distance away from people on purpose. Um, but when I'm going anywhere inside, I'm wearing a mask. So that's what I've observed here. Only a couple of people I've seen actively, I can only think of one I saw was actively not wearing a mask. When they first opened the car wash, I went to get my car washed mm. and everybody seemed to be following the rules, except for one burly guy with a beard who wasn't. And I did not engage with him. Um, we were outside, uh, but I, I watched the governor of South Dakota. Well, I read his remarks and I was, ex I was expecting something different from what he said. Mm -hmm. And what he said was, hey, don't shame people who are wearing masks. Maybe they're vulnerable or maybe they're worried about uh, uh, what you said. They're worried about a sick family member. And I was just surprised that the governor in that state had to go out and talk to people who are actively shaming people. I think in other parts of the country, you're finding people, they see you wearing a mask and it's the blue equivalent of wearing a red MAGA hat, right? So mm. it is a, you're signaling Ultra to somebody. Warm. Yes, and it shouldn't be, it should be a practical thing. And we should be able to talk about authority and uh, reciprocity. Um, but I think people are seeing it as a symbol of weakness and being influenced by the evil mainstream media, to right. things that make you look un-American and unmanly. Yeah, I, I like, Larry, what you said about that influence. I just, in a public place, I would just steer clear of that because I think it is such an emotional issue yep. and it's this cultural issue. I'm just going to steer clear of people or not go anywhere that doesn't require a mask, if you will. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I actually had to go to my lawyer's office and sign papers. And my wife and I, we wore masks and gloves to sign the papers, but my lawyer didn't. So I, apparently he didn't think there was an issue with it. But um, so that's the only time I really encountered someone up close and personal. Uh, but we had to go to sign the papers in person, it had to be notarized. So I just dealt with it. It was it was you know, fine though it's happened in April. But other than that, I'll walk my dog a couple times a day and I don't wear my mask when I'm out, but I'll just steer clear of people. I won't. Same thing. Yep. I, I can't imagine there's, I can't believe how many people there are in the world because those of us have dogs, we see the same people every day. There's just yeah. an amazing amount of people out there. Um, so I'll just, uh, I'm taking different routes, like going down side streets now, instead of hitting the regular walk right. around the park sometimes just because there's so many people, but I'll just walk away from them. So Dave in Arizona, are you finding, are there people walking their dogs with masks on? Because I'd say here, I, 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 this is anything but scientific, but I'd say about a third of the people who are walking their dogs are wearing masks or just walking where I think more people are not wearing masks when they're walking outside. But again, I don't. So, but I, I really do steer clear of people. Yeah, it's interesting here. So um, when I'm out and about walking, when I see the normal crew of people who are walking their dogs or hardcore runners and exercisers that I see pretty much almost every day, there's only one lady that wears a mask. With reg I take it back. There's a there's a couple I see. There's about three different um, people that I see. Uh, two couples and a person that wears a mask. I'd say 95% of the people are not wearing masks, no, but we'll yeah. stay away from each other. So it's funny when you're walking down the street and there's somebody coming up and you, who's going to be the person to cross to the other side yeah. of the street? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, yeah, or, or walk into the street a little bit, right? So you're, I do that quite a bit. Um, you know, if no yeah. cars are coming, obviously. Yeah. I think though, to kind of redirect this a little to something I want to talk about. The, Masks are just one aspect of social distancing. And social distancing, I think, is what we're all presupposing is what's mm -hmm. necessary to help stem the spread of the disease. Being outside is another way to stem the spread of right. the disease. And I'm not so concerned about whether I'm running past somebody and they're wearing a mask and I'm not, and we have a 0.75 second interaction where there is air between us. That's not where we need masks to intervene to stop the spread of the disease, in my opinion. I think in many parts of the country, we are having people show up in stores 
in mass. And we've all seen those horrifying pictures that were on the air here in late May of spring oh, yeah. breakers who were gathering in thronging in pools. They were not wearing clothes. The Ozarks, Steve, that was awful. So, Wait, I've seen that. I watched that show on yeah. TV. And, <laughs> I know. I, of yeah, course, I no, thought about no. that, Dave. It's so funny <laughs> when, when I saw those pictures. That's a common, that's a common mistake. Oh, different sorry. Ozarks. But no, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But I think the problem we have is I'm not as optimistic as Larry because I think that there are people who are purposefully trying not to wear masks. And I think the president of the United States is one of them for the political reasons that you kind of hinted at before. There is a certain political alignment between people who wear masks and people who don't. That's been evident in the coverage of the pandemic since the very beginning, where governors were described by their party as well as their state as supporting a shutdown or supporting a lockdown. I hope that's not one of you calling. Sorry about that. I, I, so, I do think it's part of the culture wars. It was, it's, it, yeah, it's been aligned. It's not, I don't know if it's culture wars or political wars. And I will suggest that actually President Trump has done a great job marketing not yep. wearing a mask. He's put himself out as an authority figure, self-declared that is, but an authority figure and a leader, someone many people idolize and follow. And he's made a very prominent pitch to put himself in a position where he's seen not wearing a mask, inviting people to follow. And we do have people, I just heard someone, probably a North Carolina grad, saying, well, if the president's not wearing a mask, I'm not going to wear one either. And that was just a little jive <laughs> tweet. <laughs> Hey, I mean, it, Jesse Holmes back in the day so, said when they wanted to build a zoo in North Carolina, he said, all, all you have to do is put a fence around Chapel Hill. And we always took that as a, a, as a compliment, if you know what I mean. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the, the thing is, I think there's already some influencing a foot here, but it's in the opposite direction. And maybe there's something. No, Steve, I'm there. glad you brought that up. And that's what I was, I was intimating. Um, to set my record straight, I agree with you. That's where, I mean, right now, we look to leaders in every way, and, and, and this is my editorial point of view, since the, the leadership is completely devoid and lacking from 1600 Pennsylvania, uh, the governors have had to fill in the void in many, in many instances. But when it comes to things like this, it does become politicized, that's the word I was looking for before, and a culture war because because the the the, the man in the White House tries to, to commingle those. And so he does, this is about influence, he is influencing the non-wearing mask. There's no question that that's happening. And I think that's part of a, a big reason for what's transpired here. It's, it's interesting because you guys know I'm a fan of Robert Cialdini and his uh, principles of influence. And uh, one of the big ones that should apply here is the idea of authority, that a trusted, competent right. person should be able to tell you what's the best thing to do. So The key word was competent there, Dave. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's the key word. <laughs> that's what's so amazing about this. So a guy like Tony Fauci, Dr. Tony Fauci, right. medical doctor who has 30 years of experience working for both sides of the aisle, stands up and clearly explains things and was doing a great job of it. Yep. And then there's a war, fire Fauci, Fauci lied. And people are using as an expert, the certain president who has demonstrated no competence and no integrity, in, particularly in these areas, but in general. But he knows nothing about science, yep. nothing about public health, and unfortunately, nothing about math. Sorry, I'm probably getting a little too political. But um, uh, so I, I think... It's sort of an anti-authoritarian problem. So if you say, the experts say you should do this, ha, huh, those experts, they're trying to kill us, gain power, make money. There was some study that said 47% of Fox News where, uh, watchers believe a uh, theory that Bill Gates is going to inject microchips with the vaccine, oh and that's why he's pushing for it. I have trouble believing there has to be a sampling error in that. 47% is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, that, uh, but there's this thing that Bill Gates wants to push a vaccine so he can make money. 
He has uh, plenty of money. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's that's his MO, right? He's got enough of the scratch. Okay. But let me lay down a marker, not that I'm that much of a conspiracy theorist, but I have said a while ago, and I predict this, this is my prediction, that the, one of the next iterations of the iPhone will include, as part of its software, tracking, tracing software that will address the pandemic. I don't think that's unusual. I think it's helpful, but it's also a marketing opportunity. And tie-ins like that just feed into the conspiracy theories that are already circulating Fox News. There's just because someone's crazy doesn't mean they aren't somewhat close on the target. So I'm thinking going back to influencing people, I'm not going to influence people in a public setting just because people get pissed off about it. It's a really emotionally yep. charged subject and people can carry weapons and people can punch you in the yep. face. And so I'm not going to go to some place unless they require a mask. And if I peek into this place and I see people running around without masks, I'm probably not going to go there. But do you guys have some experience with trying to get friends or family to wear a mask? Some sort of, have you come across that? Not me. I, and again, I think part of it is the culture because we are in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were the first, put, first area to shelter in place. So, uh, you know, not me. And then I've got a lot of family in New York where they've been hit so hard. Um, so, you know, I haven't, I think people really get it. The, the folks that I, that I'm interacting with. Um, so, and my business partners in Atlanta, even though Georgia, this is interesting. I have, my two business partners are in Atlanta, Georgia opened up as we know, but there they haven't changed anything in the way they do. Dave, I think similar to what you're talking about in Arizona, like, you know, neither one of them are interested in getting tattoos, but you know, they're, they're not, they're not changing their behavior because mm -hmm. a state has opened up. Um, and I, and I think let's, there's a, there's an educational and IQ element to this. Let's be honest, right. That is, is part of this. And that's not that, you know, that might not be politically correct, but I think is there, there's some factual evidence to that. So, um, that's my thoughts. Um, sorry if I'm coming off badly in that sense, but I, that's what I believe. No, I, I think it's funny. But I will say this, Mr. Blasco, uh, or future Dave, that this is, you, are, you do have an opportunity to influence, not by going up in someone's face and asking them to put on a mask because you will be punched in the face, but just by wearing a mask. And that goes to one of Cialdini's procedures, uh, principles, excuse me, where just established that there's some kinsmanship. All the cool people, all the cool Daves are wearing masks. And if I see that guy, that pleasant looking man walking his dog wearing a mask, gosh darn it, I should be wearing one too. And I think by modeling this behavior, being somewhat upstanding gentlemen of a certain age, we actually do have an ability to show that people should do what we're doing. Um, perhaps I should wear a mask even when I'm out in the morning even though it's not necessary. I will say I nearly killed myself a few weeks ago trying to run with one because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't breathe. But other than that, wearing the mask, um, even if you're the only person in that particular setting, does should make that statement. And it does establish that the norm affinity, there. One of these principles. I think you're right. I don't think we have to go up in someone's face, but just by wearing a mask, I'm going to go get my mask now. <laughs> I... I also in, am in charge of dog walking, which uh, is probably good for sanity and some other stuff. But uh, and I also have not been wearing a mask, but I think I should be having one with me, uh, visible. So because I do see other people running and biking and walking their dogs with masks, and uh, uh, I think Steve is right that the appropriate model would be to have one there in case I needed to interact with somebody. It's a, good, it's a good point. Um, like it I said, is. I normally haven't taken mine, but sometimes we, um, oh, we had a, uh, the high school had a little uh, graduation ceremony last week where the, we live right by the high school. So I took my mask down to the corner because the, the students all drove by in their cars and had a little parade and the police did a little escort. So there was probably 30 people down at the corner. And so we were outside and I wore my mask. Then my wife will remind me to take it. So I think that was good behavior. And I'm trying to think, I'd say about half the people had masks and about half the folks didn't, you know, it was outside down at the corner. So it's kind of a mixed bag here. 
Well, one thing we should remember is that the mask discussion has changed. Um, and some people say it causes confusion, but uh, David knows I've been experimenting with masks for a while, but I was thinking of it more from the other side, which was protecting myself, thereby protecting my family. Um, um, so I was messing with bandanas and some other things, which I, I still have. Um, but my first concern when I first started doing it was wearing a bandana was that me as a middle-aged white guy of a certain age with his head shaved looked like a thug wearing a mask and that I would make people nervous. So I was concerned about that. So I wore my, uh, wore my little league hat. So, uh, people would know I was, if I was a thug, I was at least a local thug. <laughs> Avoid wearing it at the bank, right? <laughs> Boy, this is really bad when the white people are worried about how they look in masks. <laughs> uh, oh even, my gosh. My first reaction to masks, though, was when uh, I would see people wearing masks back when there was a shortage for medical personnel. I thought my first gut was those people are selfish. Right. And mm -hmm. I don't like them. And I tried to reframe it and say, you know what? Maybe those people are ill and are trying to be considerate of the people around them. Right. Which is how we should now, which is full circle, which is how we should be thinking about it. Right. I'm ill or I could be ill and I don't want to make anybody else ill. Right. That's a, that's a good look on you, Steve. And that's the way that, that's the way mass, thank you. That's the way I, for those of you who can't see <laughs> us because it's not a video podcast, I'm now wearing a mask. We can all see each other and I feel somewhat safer now. I feel like I am keeping you together. Any <laughs> through the Zoom, uh, through the Zoom world, you're keeping <laughs> us safe. Interface. Appreciate it, Steve. Yeah, but um, future Dave Kramer, what you're saying about the changing in standards, I think, is a major obstacle also to influencing on a grand scale, because one of the principles in Cialdini's reading that you assigned us is consistency. Establish a message, establish, yes, you should wear a mask because they protect others. But as you pointed out three months ago, we were saying you don't need to wear a mask. And that was kind of odd because in China and in, I remember um, Taiwan when they were dealing with SARS, they actually adopted the rationale that everyone should be wearing masks. And one of the reasons I read was that if everyone's wearing a mask then there's no right. stigma about having the disease because everyone's got a mask, so you don't know who's a carrier and who's not. But instead, the message at one selfish bastard, why are you wearing a mask and taking them off of our first responders? Two months later, you're showing up and saying, please wear a mask and save grandma. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you've got it is interesting as a cultural thing there, because you'll see that I, I've never spent time in China, but I've gone to Japan. And years ago, you saw some people wearing a mask, I think, because they were potentially, they thought themselves were sick. And it's normal in that culture to wear a mask where it's a little bit foreign in the U.S. culture to do, to do that. Yeah, one uh, convincing statistic is uh, the number of COVID-related deaths in Hong Kong, which is very close to where the break, outbreak started. And is very densely populated. Last I checked, they had four deaths. One, two, three, four. Wow. Well, they were. I heard the other day, David, they were talking about Hong Kong compared to New York because they're basically around the same size and density. And to say there's a stark difference uh, is, is not the right way to say it, right? I mean, it's, it's night and day. Well, remember, one of the inadvertent advantages that the Asian countries had was that they were ravaged by SARS True. 10 years ago. So they had seen this and blown it once already. So several of the countries, Taiwan, South Korea, Hong Kong, did not play around and immediately snapped into a pre pre preventative posture. We are the land of the free, the home of the brave. And no one's going to tell us that we have to wear a mask or can't go to get a tattoo. Really? What, do you, what is it with tattoos? <laughs> Steve, I'm with you, man. I don't get it either. So. <laughs> that's, that's what worries me is that uh, oh, we're America, we're exceptional, it's not invented here, and we didn't learn the lessons from Hong Kong and South Korea, and um, 100,000 people are dead. Right, and I just and have counting. this feeling. Exactly, I just have this feeling that South Dakota and Montana are saying, oh, that's a, that's a New York and a right. LA problem. It's a blue state thing. Yeah, it's not gonna happen to us because you have magical thinking. Well, the South Dakota, or is it North Dakota? I'm not convinced there are two Dakotas, but in one of the Dakotas, 
here's my that's my east coast bias, east, dakota. east dakota one, one of the first <laughs> east dakota thank you thank you future dave Velasco. one of the outbreaks occurred yes. at a meatpacking plant and there were several people several hundred sickened a few died it is no coincidence that most of the employees there were latino which is not the norm of the population that you think of with the dakotas and you have to question whether that is a factor of people perceiving that that risk that struck in that isolated meatpacking plant is something that can happen outside of that particular community. I think jumping back to something we said way at the beginning, I don't know how much we're seeing a danger to ourselves as a motivation for taking action to stopping the spread of the pandemic. Steve, you're saying this is tribalism at its worst, that people see that the, when you hear on the news that the majority of people that are dying are people over 65 or people of color or uh, working class people. And so people who don't fall into one of those categories like, oh, well, then I'm fine. That's yes. sad, isn't it? Lost a lot less impactful to you, yes. right? I mean, if you're not, if, if you, if you don't, if you can work from home, if you're not working, having to go out, it's less impactful. Definitely. I think that's what's going through people's minds. Or flipping even more if you're young and the, st the stats are what they are. This disease kills older people much more prevalently than young people. I was looking at some numbers before and it's not even, this is simply a disease that attacks the older people. If you're young, you're not, chances are you're playing the numbers. You're not as likely to catch this or to die of it. Yet you've been out of work for two months because your restaurant closed or you can't make the double frappuccino like you used to. That's something that you've got to address when you're trying to influence a group of people to shift from one way to another. Uh, that's the, that is the reality. And that's part of the opening up that I don't think anybody has a good answer to, uh, which becomes really difficult. And <laughs> shifting the cover, conversation, I think, Steve, you mentioned about a minute ago, have anybody, have any of you all encountered the close, the, the person who's like way too in your space? Like I was at a grocery store. It was Mother's, it was before Mother's Day buying my wife a Mother's Day card. And so most people were sort of keeping their distance. And then I started to look for this card. And this gentleman, who happened to be older, just came right up like on my shoulder. And I turned around. I was like, whoa. And I just stepped back and let him in, you know, and just let him. And this other guy saw me. And we saw each other. We just started laughing because it was really inappropriate. It would have been inappropriate anyway. And then, <laughs> and then you throw this on, right? Like... And so I'm just much more mindful, and this is for myself, of people in my proximity. You know, like I'm trying to stay away from folks. Yeah, that's going to be hard to, it's hard to remember though. When you start getting out in the world, you're used to handing somebody a piece of paper and pointing at something. Um, yeah. I think we're doing a very good job of doing things this way. Um, it turns out to be quite productive once everybody agrees to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's it. It happened to me a couple times where you realize you're that's not six feet. These are uh, these are two foot squares here on the carpet. So you need one, two, three of those to be six feet away. And my wife had a moment like that last week. She was talking with uh, a gentleman who's going to trim our trim the trees from our, uh, across the street, and she had a forgot it was COVID nineteen moment, and was talking with a guy. He didn't have a mask. He didn't bring her mask over, and she's like, "What the heck am I doing?" And of course, then she's freaking out that she's going to get the virus. Um, but it's hard. You, 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 I meet people when I'm walk, walking the dog, people that I know, and we're pretty good about staying six feet apart. But it's people you know pretty well for many years, you know, and it's hard yeah. not to get, get close to them. You got to remember to stay six feet apart to have a conversation. My parents live about 20 minutes from my house and on Easter Sunday, after having not seen them for a month or so, my wife and two daughters and I drove over to their house and we stood on the front lawn and they stepped out and we yelled at each other for about 20 minutes in a face-to-face -face contact. And it was really nice and sweet and we have pictures of each other from a distance. My father, whose memory has been failing, asked several times during the conversation, why don't we just come in and mm. sit down and talk? And... We're not at that point. I don't know. My mom tells me the most heartbreaking things. She'll be 80 this year. She says, Steve, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go outside mm. again as long as I'm alive. Hmm. Yeah, I, my mom is 82. 
and my dad passed away last year and um, my mom is very social. Sorry to hear that. And it's really difficult. She's back in New York and my sister lives near her and so is doing all her shopping for her and everything. But it's really difficult for my mom lives in, a, in an apartment and she's got a lot of friends and they all get it. But, you know, they would like to see each other more, but they are starting to socialize six feet away and there's, they're, they're doing, uh, which I think is great. And that's the, that's the really difficult part. Like what is the, what is the, the, um, the line straddle of being safe yet also living your life? And I think we're all trying to figure that out. And I think it's, it's changing day to day. That's part of the difficulty of navigating all of this. Yeah, there's a, a culture, I'll call it a culture of safety, and it, it takes a while for it to change. So nowadays, if you saw a kid in the backseat of a car rolling down the street, jumping up and down on the seat, you'd say, whoa, that's an irresponsible parent there. That kid's going to die when we used to do it all the time, right? We so, grew up that way. <laughs> all of us did. Must exactly. be 1967, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's how you change things is once people get used to that. So now you think, whoa, you shan't stand next to me at the Mother's Day card. You need to step back. No, uh, I work in the construction industry and we've had to go through this. So I've got some concrete examples. Like, um, yeah, no I, I got that. But uh, iron workers are a super macho bunch of guys. I've never actually seen a girl iron worker, but uh, but I was warned don't <laughs> don't work underneath them because they drop tools, they drop bolts, and if they think it's funny, right? They do it by accident, but they think it's hilarious if you jump. Uh, and now they have to keep their tools on lanyards so they don't drop because an iron wrench falling. 20 feet really hurts. If it's falling 200 feet, it's definitely going to kill you. So right. it, it's, it was hard to convince people and it has to start from the top that we all want to go home safely and we have to take care of each other. Um, so, but that, that wasn't easy, particularly amongst guys who are like, no, no, no. I've been walking steel without being tied off for years. And so did my dead father and my dead uncle and my dead brother. My grandfather dropped a hammer on my head. And I'm perfectly fine. That's right. Uh, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great movie. So if you want to influence people to slow the spread of the pandemic, what do we have going for us then? We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a real answer in sight. I agree with you, Larry. I don't know how what I would do right now. But we have the belief that it's the right thing to do to slow the disease and to protect others from catching it if we inadvertently get it. So what have you guys, what do we do? Well, one hopes that we will get the army of contract tra contact tracers, easy for me to say, uh, and adequate testing. For instance, I was talking to a woman from church and they tested everyone in her retirement community. Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the only way to do it because those people, I think what we're saying is they could die of loneliness. You know, mm, if you're, if you're right. a widow or a widower and you were having your meals brought in and not seeing anybody. And um, so I, I think it's great that they might be able to do that. Um, it's, it's sad that, you know, we were able to touch the test, the Brooklyn nets, but um, it hasn't happened for all the old people who are, really at risk. Yeah, but you know what, though? Part of even if you go into the sports thing, I think that actually it should get, you know, sports are about to open up. And I think that that will be good for a lot of us who are sports fans. And the bottom line is, again, this goes back to the government uh, and, and the whole infrastructure about testing. And we just got to be able to have tests readily available to anyone who needs it. And I mean, I hopefully, I, this is my personal opinion, hopefully we can get to the point, I'm a big NBA fan, where they can go into their bubble in Orlando and play and have the testing and it shouldn't be frowned upon because if you're, you know, Grandma uh, Riva who lives in Des Moines, you can still get a test if you need it and that's not going to take away from it um, because we should be at the point where that's not a problem. Um, 
but I don't know that. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but there should be more testing and it should, yes, I think we, I think we agree. I just, early on, uh, a coworker of mine, his 20 something year old daughter had high fever, persistent cough. They knew what it was, but she still never got a test. Mm. It's like, this is, we're going to treat it this way, no matter what, uh, we don't have enough tests to go around. So fingers crossed, that's how we're going to get it addressed. Is she, yeah. is she okay? Well, look, I'll tell you this. One, one of my wife's best friends who actually lives in New York, she had it, but we still don't know if she had it because she was never tested. So when, when you hear that, the story about people, you know, the, the numbers we are just the ones we know, we, there's plenty of others who've had it. I mean, there, there's, a, again, one, a, a living example of that. Um, she had all the signs, her boyfriend was in Italy before, and et cetera, et cetera. There's no way she didn't have it. You know what I mean? And she's fine now, but she's not in those numbers. No, but aside from the statistical problems, what has to happen is that if someone has it, diagnosed, tested or not, everyone around them has to shut down. That's right, Steve. They've yep. got to stop, stay out of circulation for whatever that is. And that, that can hurt. That can be two, three weeks out of work with no money the stigma of having to explain that you have the dreaded disease. And I don't, I don't believe that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the structure of the virus, you can transmit it for several days before you show any symptoms. So I was talking with a doctor friend of mine earlier today, and it's a well, it's a well-designed virus. It's yeah. built to travel and shutting down people. How do you guys feel? And this is beyond the scope here of, Americans being asked to voluntarily report to a quarantine camp for two or three weeks when they or their loved ones are showing symptoms, because that's one way to take them out of circulation and make sure that the disease doesn't spread. You have someone who may have the virus, um, take them out. I think I've been in uh, future Dave Velasco's house, so I know he has enough room that they could live in several areas without having to interact. Some people live, several people, to a bedroom in uh, their houses. They can't shelter right. in place without interacting the entire yeah. family. I wouldn't be real Are keen about that, but I have a place where we've yeah. talked about this already in my house, and we figured out, okay, if someone gets the virus, they're gonna hear, this is going to be their room until they get better kind of thing. I saw that room, and if I get the virus, that's going to be my <laughs> You didn't know that, Dave, did you? Steve's... My Steve, hopefully you don't have to do it, but. <laughs> but that's beyond the mask thing, because this is part of the overall influence that I think we can all shape just by modeling what it is that we would like to be seeing uh, in others. And if they see us acting responsibly, you've got to think that someone's going to look. Your NDA example, that kind of scares me, because you see 10 of the most admired men in America on a basketball court, they will not be wearing masks. And what kind of image is that putting out? for others. Um, I think in terms of influence, the Cialdini model, um, showing and modeling what we want other people to do is one advantage that we have because there's so many ways that people are coming up with discouraging people from wearing masks. So the UFC had a big event without, uh, without did they have spectators or not? But I, I didn't watch it. Um, no. They did not handle it very well. Um, <laughs> you know, you would expect the, com obviously the, the, the competitors would not be able to wear masks, but uh, they, they didn't do a very good job of, uh, uh, of modeling and which is unfortunate. Um, and one of the things I heard was uh, the UFC fighters are one of the only high dollar sports where their players are not represented by a union. So you would hope that the NBA would do a better job of protecting everybody but particularly the players and the referees are ma managed by a union. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm becoming a socialist as I get older. It's only right. <laughs> Those are all unions, by the way. Sorry for the dog bark in the background. Oh my gosh. So I think, dogs. all right, catch so Mr. Kramer, we should probably draw this one to a close, but I, I, I think for me personally, you know, I'm trying to protect my 92 year old mother who lives close by, who I, you know, I will see her, but stay six feet away from her. I'm trying to not get her the virus. So I think, I think we're saying we can influence others. 
I think Steve and um, Larry pointed this out by wearing our mask to influence others to wear their mask in those situations mm -hmm. where it's important, huh? So maybe I rethink about whether I wear my mask every day when I go walk the dog, even in suburbia where there's plenty of room to walk around. I do see people. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an excellent suggestion, right? If you get four accomplished, clearly masculine men such as ourselves <laughs> modeling this. You forgot people good looking. People want to be like us. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think that's a good idea. Let's wrap this up. Thank you, uh, Steve and Larry, for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Larry. Hey, this has been a lot of fun. Would you guys mind if I plug my podcast, uh, our podcast? Um, we have a podcast called Brands, Beats, and Bites. It's uh, available on all the apps. And uh, it's at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. We do it out of Stanford KZSU, although we are doing it from home right now. So um, thanks for uh, allowing me to uh, put that through to you guys. I'm sorry, I should have done that in the beginning. It's, a, it's an excellent, well-produced podcast, a lot of energy. Uh, very different from this one. <laughs> no, this is great. This is fun. And my 15-year-old daughter has posted a podcast where she rambles on about teenage things for 45 minutes. So I'm going to discourage any of you from listening. <laughs> Actually, we probably should listen, Steve, Very for all of our, uh, our own learnings as parents. <laughs> but it has been good to talk to you guys again, and you for the first time, Larry. If yes. you guys come over to Washington, stay six feet away. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great, guys. Thanks for inviting the, uh, the, the Tar Heel in. You know, you guys aren't... Uh, aren't aren't biased against us. We appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank mm -hmm. you.